Well, today is a day that I've been looking forward to for a long time because as much as I love to preach, I also am aware that I need to hear preaching. And I really want to hear good preaching when I hear, hear preaching. And I cannot think of a finer um, person to bring in than Lane Luttrell. Lane came to us about three years ago as our preaching intern, and uh, everyone immediately fell in love with Lane. He's got one of those personalities, one of those hearts that he just shares with everyone, and it draws people in. And I knew that we had the right guy when very quickly after his first sermon or two, I heard, you know, you can be out more often. You can, you can put him anytime you want. And so we're going to do that today. So I'm going to invite Lane to come up, and uh, he's got a message that I've already got a sneak peek at, and I know you're going to be blessed by. So if you don't know him yet, this is Lane Luttrell, and he'll share more about himself. But I'm going to pray over him, and then we're going to experience a, a message that is going to lead us into our time of communion at the table and all that God has for us there. So, pray over you, Lane, and I'll turn it over to you. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that you brought Lane to be with us. Just the blessing that he is to my life personally, the blessing that he's been to this church and so many here, and the message that I know is going to bring a blessing today. So, Father, give us the ears to hear, and give us the hearts to receive what you have in store for us. And may we leave as changed people because we've been a part of this today. So all this in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Glad you're here. Morning, Western Hills. Glad to be back. Thank you for joining us online. Uh, those of you who are at home, uh, this is going to preach right into your living room. So thanks for letting us be a part of your home. We all love a good story, right? We all love a good story. Whenever we're, we're young or, or toddlers, we love the bedtime story, the prince slaying the dragon or the giving tree. That was my favorite growing up. And then whenever we get older, we like the, the high school drama or the rom-com. Or if you stay at the Lavelles for two summers like I did, it's the Hallmark movies that you may encounter. And we especially love, I especially love underdog stories. Hamilton just came out on Disney+. Plus. Anybody else obsessed with Hamilton? I know I am. The King is the greatest character ever created. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, but that's an underdog story. Alexander Hamilton, it's an underdog story. And the story that we're going to look at today is truly an underdog story. And when Scott asked me to preach, he said, bring a, a Jesus sermon. So I thought that we would take a look at 2 Samuel 9. Not usually where people go whenever they want a, uh, a Jesus sermon, but don't worry because in this story is compassion, kindness, and at the center of it all, the gospel. Now this story probably should have been told as a bedtime story. If, if you're like me, you grew up with your parents reading you bedtime stories from Scripture. Uh, and this one should have been a bedtime story, but the main character has a fairly unpronounceable name. You know, you have Noah, Jonah, Peter, Paul, all great, easily pronounceable names. But saying Mephibosheth doesn't quite roll off the tongue as, as well as those other ones. But that's who we're going to talk about today, the story of David and Mephibosheth. So if you will, let's read 2 Samuel 9, starting in verse 1. 
David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there is a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Do not be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? It's a beautiful story. So let's pause here and give some background on where David is. David is sitting in his kingdom. He's sitting on his throne, and he is at peace. In chapter 8, it tells us that God handed over David's enemies to him. So he's at peace. His officials are in place. He's sitting in his comfy throne, and he's looking around his kingdom thinking, I've got it pretty good. God has shown me some kindness. I want to show that kindness to somebody else, but not just anybody else. I want to show that kindness to a descendant of Jonathan. Now, there's only one descendant of Jonathan because whenever a regime change happens in the kingdom, when the kingdom changes hands, the entire past regime is wiped out. They, they are pushed out of the kingdom They are completely wiped out because they could be seen as a political threat to the throne. So he's asking, we haven't seen his family since I took the throne. Is there anyone left? And he says that there's only one Mephibosheth living in Lodabar, which translates to wasteland. And so he goes and gets Mephibosheth. And I say that about the regime change because... What do you think is going through Mephibosheth's mind whenever he gets a knock on the door and it's one of David's servants requesting his presence in front of the king? He's thinking, I'm about to die. He's thinking, this is it. He's thinking, they got me. They found me. This is it. I've been in hiding. So he goes in front of David and it's his last plea for his life. He falls on his face and pays honor to David, and David screams his name, says Mephibosheth. And I don't think that David is saying it in anger, but I think he's saying it in excitement that Mephibosheth is still alive. He says, at at your service, whatever you want me to do, whatever I can do to save my life. And David says, no, 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 no. Don't be afraid. Because it's not because of anything that you have done, but because of who your father is, I will restore your land. You will always have a seat at my table. It's a great story of compassion, great story of kindness, but it doesn't end there. 
Because then Mephibosheth asks, what is your servant? You should notice a dead dog like me. He doesn't say, who am I? Who is your servant? He says, what am I? I'm a dead dog. You see, dogs in their day were not celebrated like they are today. People walk their dog in strollers. Dogs were seen as rats. So to be a dead dog is to be trash. Dead dog is worthless. Because for Mephibosheth's whole life, nobody has even noticed him. He has felt worthless. Nobody has shown him any regard. Nobody has even thought twice about Mephibosheth. And now he has a seat at the king's table. He's thinking, who am I? What have I done? What can I do in order to get to this table? And David says, no, you're forgetting the point. It's not because of what you've done. It's not because of who you are, but because of who your father is. This is not an underdog story. This is a dead dog story. And Maybe you're feeling like a dead dog. Or maybe you felt like a dead dog. And you're wondering where your worth comes from. You've heard one, one too many times, not good enough, failure, unlovable, unwanted, undesirable. You're wondering, what can I do to earn a spot at the table? What can I do to be good enough? No, 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 no. It's missing the point. You have a seat at the table not because of what you've done, but because of who your heavenly Father is. You have a seat at the table. All of us in this room, we have a seat at the table because of who our heavenly Father is. And so throughout this sermon, we'll ask three questions. Three imperative questions for us to answer today. Not to put off for tomorrow or next week, but we must answer these questions today. And the first imperative question is, what's at the center of your story? Because if you're feeling like a dead dog, I need you to hear this one thing, that your story is not over yet. Jesus is not through with you. Jesus has not written you off. Jesus still wants you. Jesus still loves you, still wants to be there for you, still wants to help you, still wants to hold you, still wants to heal you, still is desiring you. Your story is not over yet. So what's at the center of your story? Because if it's not the gospel, then your story has yet to, to see its full potential. Your story is not you coming to life in Jesus Christ. And it hasn't even seen its full potential. But if your story, the center of your story, is the gospel, if it is love that holds you, if it is grace that grasps you, if it is mercy that is for you every single day, then your story is just getting good. It's just getting to the good part. And when the gospel is the center of our story, what that looks like is that we are living in it every single day. That we are, are breathing these words of Jesus. We are doing what He does and saying what He says. And we are in love with Jesus. That's what it looks like when the gospel is the center of our story. But in order to figure out 
what our story is going to be about. We have to figure out what's our pursuit, and our pursuit is our king. So the second imperative question is, who is your king? Because who your king is is who you're living for. That's what your pursuit is. That's what you're striving after. Your king is who you are striving after, striving to be like. And your king could be a what or a thing or an action. So if money is your king, if money is dictating your decisions, if money is ruling your life, you're never going to have enough. And if success is your king, then you're always going to be chasing whatever version of success you have. And if you fall short, you're going to buy back into not feeling good enough. You're going to buy into being a failure. And if work is your king, working day in and day out is your king, and, and putting your, your family on the back burner, and putting your, your, your marriage on the edge, and putting your, your kids behind you, and putting your friendships and relationships in jeopardy, because you just have to get, uh, <laughs> you have to do a perfection job every single time, it's going to strain those relationships. Jesus must be our king in order for us to live in the kingdom. He must be our king. Because when Jesus is our king, then we start living for him. And we start being in love with Him. And we start to show others the kindness and compassion that is there for us because of a heavenly Father. We start living in the kingdom. And that's what Mephibosheth does, is he starts living in the kingdom. He accepts this RSVP to sit at the table. And in verse 11, it tells us, Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet." Now, why does it have to put that little reminder that he's lame in both of his feet? The author is deliberately telling us how unprecedented it is for a king to do this. How unkingly it is. How unwarranted it is for Mephibosheth to sit at the table. He's not a war hero. He's not an official. He's not a high priest, but yet he still has a seat at the table. And the author wants that image to stick in your mind that he will always eat at the king's table. And if you continue to read 2 Samuel, you'll see another mention of Mephibosheth, and it says that he is still eating at the king's table because he doesn't want to leave. He's thinking, now I've got it pretty good. This meal's pretty, pretty tasty. This chair's pretty comfy. The bed I sleep in in my new home in Jerusalem is pretty good. He doesn't want to leave. He has a better home in the kingdom. And here today, we can have a better home in the kingdom of God. And what I love about this story is that David doesn't break his promise. When he tells Mephibosheth always, he means 
always. When God promises us that we have a seat at the table, all we have to do is accept that RSVP and take a seat, then His promise is going to be true. God doesn't deal in false testimonies. God doesn't deal in lies. God doesn't deal in empty words. When God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. When God invites you to the table, He's inviting you to the table. And the kingdom of God that I'm talking about here, Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 4 when he writes, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Whew! That didn't give you chills. Let me say that again with a little more emphasis. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, It does not consist in empty words that fall on dead ears. It does not consist in lies. It does not consist in false testimonies and false prophets. These words and promises are not going to fall flat. But when God, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power, power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, power to raise Lazarus from the dead, power to to touch the leper and to cleanse them, power that escapes Jesus' cloak when it's woman touches him power to look at an adulterous woman that has been thrown at his feet by a band of pharisees and tell her that i do not condemn you power and we are invited as a part of this kingdom there's no better place i want to be If we are invited and we want to be a part, and if we are a part of this kingdom, we cannot consist in talk, but we must consist in the power of God. We can't say that we want a better life and not do anything about it. Say that we want to read our word more and then leave our Bible at home, or say that we want to start praying more and not just stop down randomly to do it. We can't look at this country and say that we want COVID-19 to stop and then not do anything about it. We can't look at the social injustice and say this is unfair. This needs to stop and not do something about it. The power of the kingdom of God is the only thing that will heal racial tension. It is the only thing They can bring families closer than ever. It's the only thing that can heal marriages that are straining. It's the only thing that can make us have have joy in the suffering. Grace in the time of despair. Peace in the time of pain. Because it's a kingdom of power, not of talk. So our third imperative question is will you accept the RSVP and take a seat? Will you accept the RSVP and take a seat? When I say take a seat, I mean we're doing something about it. So this week, we're going to do something about it. This is our, our challenge for all of us in this room and all of you at home. This is our challenge. And luckily, we're all sitting at tables. But I, it would be so amazing if for one meal every single day this week we actually sat at a table 
looking across the room, at, looking across the table at somebody, and we turned off our phone, we turned off our TV, turned off the computer, turned off the emails, and we just sat and we had a conversation. We sat at a table. I mean, that is just lost because I love watching TV and eating my dinner. Hey, I'll admit it. I love eating every single meal in front of a TV and binging Netflix and Hamilton, but that's, that table is, is lost in our culture. I had an apartment in Abilene for, for three years, and I didn't even own a table. So I missed it. <laughs> we have to sit at a table, so that's our challenge. You can practice this today at lunch, and what would be incredible for us to do is every single day this week, what if you ran through those questions? What if you asked your, your family what if you ask your spouse or your kids or guests if you want to bring them over after they've hand sanitized and put mask on? What if you ask them, hey, is the gospel the center of your story? What's been the center of your story lately? What's your story been about? How can you make the gospel the center of your story? Maybe, maybe hey, I just, need, I just need to pick up the gospel again. I mean, I just need to pick it up, start in Matthew and just go, or start in Mark because it's shorter. And then ask, hey, who's your king? Just, man, work has just been bogging me down lately. My king has been just, it's been money. I've been trying to chase it for a bit. And it's just, it's just dictating my decisions. And then ask yourself, every single day, are you accepting this RSVP? Because what we learn from Mephibosheth is it's not just a one-time acceptance. It's every single day. It's every single day. Jesus must become our entire life in order for our entire life to be saved. So we can either, with this RSVP, we can either say one day, or we can say this is day one. We can say one day, or we can say this is day one, that I'm accepting this RSVP. The last thing that, that, that I want us to do with this, this table meal is we, very easily we can all do this, and it's simply just, just saying our, our prayer um, as saying these words, Jesus, the gospel is the center of my story. You are my king. I accept the RSVP. Do that every single meal, just those three things, Jesus, the gospel is the center of my story. And if you're with your family, you say the gospel is the center of our story. Jesus, you are our king. We accept the RSVP. So every day this week, one meal at a table to heal those, those relationships and to be a part of the kingdom and to literally take a seat. To be a part of a kingdom that does not consist in talk, but in power. A part of the kingdom where we worship and we praise and we follow a king that saves us through the cross, who is still there for us, who has not written us off, but wants to be our king and wants to be at the center of our story. Accept the RSVP today. Eat at the king's table always. We're about to take communion together at our tables. See how nicely that flowed together? That was Scott's idea. So, 
We're about to take communion, and when you think about communion this morning, whether you're at home or here at a table, um, when you think about communion, I, I like to think of what does Jesus bring to the table? What does he bring to the table? And in John 6, he tells us he brings himself. He brings all of him, and he asks us to bring all of us. In John 6, and verse 40, or 53 through 58, he says, Whoever drinks my blood and eats my flesh will remain in me and I in them. will have eternal life as the, I am the bread of life. He says, consume me, feed on me, be in love with me, and I've got you. You're a part of the kingdom. I'm your king. I got you. So let's think about that, 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 uh, that cracker, that bread that we're about to eat as that body that Jesus gives to us. And then later we'll have to cut that blood that was shed that Jesus gives freely to us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of who our Heavenly Father is, we have a seat at the table. That is the gospel. So let's say a prayer now for the bread. God, we come before you and we ask just, a, just that you would be our king, that we would live in your kingdom. Jesus, the gospel is the center of our story. You are our king. We accept the RSVP today, tomorrow, every day. Let us not consist in talk, but in your power. So guys, we take this bread, we, we think about what you give to the table, and you give all of you. And so in this walk, while we pursue you and pursue living in the kingdom, may we give you all of us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.